back to part two of our exploration of Ned Kelly. So have you heard much about Stringy Bark Creek? No. Stringy Bark Creek is one area that I'm really torn on and I'll just share with everyone like why I'm torn on Stringy Bark Creek. Forgetting about like the result, we know what the result was with uh, three police officers who were killed, they were shot. Uh, that's not in dispute. But I started to look at the motivations. I do believe that the police went into Stringy Bark Creek with the mission of taking them out dead or alive, and probably dead even preferably. Now, what made me really consolidate that is there are some photographs of those police officers taken on their horses shortly before they're about to go in. And there's a little bit of detail on the horse that someone need to, needed to explain to me for me to understand it. There are some certain straps on the side of the horse which they would normally use to carry animal carcasses after they've been shot to take them back to the butchers. I think the Kelly gang actually saw that and realised that strapping wasn't meant for animal carcasses, that strapping was meant for them. So I think part of their motivation was to be proactive because this was a killing spot. I think that's what was going through their mind at the time. There's also accounts where the police officers had an unusual large amount of ammunition, which tends to support that idea too. But the counter-argument to that one is that made me really think, like, mm, there's, this is, there's more to it than this. These guys were expert bushmen. It's been told that the Kelly gang found out about them. The police officers started shooting for food. I think they shot down a few galahs, and obviously those bullets, uh, shots brought it to their attention. And I'm thinking with expert bushmen, they could have snuck out of that bush and nobody would have ever known. They could have left without a trace. So I kept on wondering, like, that uh, standoff changed everything. That standoff meant that they became outlaws officially. There was a price on their head. So that's why I'm in two minds about, like, Stringy Bark Creek. Like, uh, yes, about the police, but, you know, they're able bushmen. They could have gone away. They could have snuck away without anybody knowing. So that's where I'm pulled about that one. I'm in two places in my head. Were they already on the run? They were on the run, but at that point it became escalated. At that point, yeah. they became like outlaws. They had a, like a price on their head. I forgot the exact amount of money, but it was huge money for those times. You know, I do agree that the police were on like hunt them down kind of mission, but I don't understand why they, uh, the gang kind of organised what they did to effectively take some of them out. And there's accounts where you can actually see that one police officer was actually shot while he was on the ground. Uh, that doesn't seem to be in dispute even by a coroner. So I'm just in so many moods. And Bargy was alluding to one of the police officers' watch was stolen and was only given back to the police officer's family 100 years or so after the incident. So it was kept within the Kelly family for a long time. So that's not stealing supplies in order to survive. Stealing someone's watch is trophy hunting. 
Andy's wedding ring. Oh, I forgot about that. I just remember the watch. Stealing someone's uh, watch and now wedding ring, which I wasn't aware of, is trophy hunting. So I'm really torn over this one. So how do you guys feel? I've, I'm torn. i got to admit, that whole incident, I'm, I'm torn about I'm, what's going I'm, on. I'm going to go back a bit to prior to Stringy Bar. And this sort of gets back to the Fitzpatrick incident. Now, at that time, Williamson and Skillion mm-hmm. were arrested for their part in that whole thing because, yep. you know, they, they were the only two that they could find at the time. Both Ned and Dan were essentially on the run. Their mother was taken into custody along with their sister Alice, who was a baby at the time, and while they were on remand, they were charged with aiding and abetting and attempted murder. True. Mm -hmm. So at this point, from the moment that the Fitzpatrick incident occurred, both Dan and Ned were alleged to have committed attempted murder. So in response to an attempted murder, you would think, yes, we're going to go and look for them and find them. And take them out, possibly. uh, Hang on. Yeah. Now, given the... the, There's a lot of different versions of what equipment and everything else that the police had with them at the time and the way that they put the party together and everything else. Number one, none of the four that went to Stringy Bark Creek were Bushmen. The four officers, that is? Yes, the four police officers Mm -hmm. were not Bushmen. Mm -hmm. They were police officers. They were drawn from predominantly populated townships. Yes, they'd occasionally go out into the bush, whether that be hunting, whether that be, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, chasing people and things like that. That was part of everybody's life at that time. So the whole thing about, oh, you know, these guys were expert bushmen and yap, yap, yap. No, they weren't. Everybody at that period of time to survive had to learn how to hunt. They had to learn how to find water. They had to learn how to look for signs of whether there was animals or water courses around and all that sort of thing. That was just part of people's life at that stage, particularly Mm -hmm. in those small rural communities. What the party was doing at the time when Ned and company came upon the first two officers at Stringy Bark is anyone's guess. Whether they were actually out looking for Dan and Ned at the time, whether they were out hunting for food, who knows? The only one that survived that and managed to get away... McIntyre. ..was McIntyre. And it wasn't unusual for them to split the party up. So basically McIntyre and Lonigan got left to look after the camp, which is what you do, and the other two were either off looking for sign of their uh, prey, in this case being Ned and crew, or they were out 
trying to find some sustenance for their team. Either way, that probably worked in Ned's favour, given that he only came across half of the party at the time. In relation to what occurred at Stringy Bark Creek, once again, I sort of look at some of the documented statements and things like that with a bit of a jaundiced eye in relation to what actually occurred. And the other thing too, to keep in the back of your mind is eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable. I've studied that bit in psychology. I think you've done something very similar. That's that's a known fact. Particularly when they have given a version a number of times, mm. they are quite open to suggestions, particularly if they're being interviewed in such a way that, oh, you know, and Ned had a revolver and he had a rifle and he was changing his rifle at the time and um, he shot uh, your counterpart in the head when he was going for his revolver, yeah? Yeah. And straight away they're going to say yes. Uh, and I know that aspect, the vulnerability when you've gone through something traumatic. And I'm just thinking there's no doubt that McIntyre went through something traumatic because he was involved in a you know gunfight, he was subdued, but he also saw his compatriots being shot. He witnessed all that. Correct. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, look, for me, the thing that really sticks with me, no matter how it played out, the one thing that really highlights what I think Ned's motivations were was the act of removing items from the bodies. The personal items, the watch, the wedding ring. Yes. For me, that doesn't show, oh, shit, I was just defending myself. Mm. That was showing, you know what? I'm going to sort you buggers out and you're never going to catch me. And what's more, I'm going to take stuff. Now, the the watch itself, in and of itself, it was if it was just a normal watch... I would say, yeah, okay, crime of opportunity. Mm. He might be able to sell it and everything else. It was actually inscribed. Yeah. And that, so, that, but probably the wedding that, ring, mm. that's the one that real that makes it personal. I just wonder if any mitigating case that uh, with the wedding ring, which I was not aware of, if it's a gold wedding ring and you're living off the bush and you need supplies, sometimes you know you can reduce that down and say, hey, I've got this gold, it's the gold rush, and I wonder if it was just that pure aspect of survival. Now, in regard to the watch, I, even though it was a personal item, he's taken it off, he may have fled, and then later on looked at the inscription and thought like, oh, okay, it's going to be extremely hard to offload now. So I'm just looking at it from a different lens there as a possibility yeah that's got you thinking bargy yeah nah sorry i'm uh, like okay i'll 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 come straight out here ned kelly was a murderer and Mm -hmm. a thief and got what he deserved yeah in in the end yeah i was quite however you didn't need to hold back (laughs) yeah however I don't believe that the folklore and 
dare I say it, some of the official history that we have got mm. now, it may not necessarily be terribly accurate. I think that's we're certainly in agreement, you and I, on that second part, whether hero or villain, I could see aspects of both. But I think he certainly knew how to manipulate the propaganda. Oh. I'll come to that in a moment. Yeah, but to me, at the point of where if the police had stumbled across his camp and he shot it out and he prevailed, that's a lot different to him sneaking up on them in their camp than looting from the bodies. I've noticed that Morty's been busily typing away. I think one of the things I saw was the value of the bounty at that time. So this is straight after Stringy Bark. Is that right, Morty? Yeah, I think so. That's the wanted poster from 1878. And there it's an £8,000 reward, which uh, apparently is like 976 thousand pounds so what are we talking like a two or three million dollar reward today oh, um, yeah. on Ned's, Ned's head for that so if there's anything to get people talking and dobbing in a mate or uh, even something that they know that's a hefty hefty inducement to come forward isn't it you could certainly live in the lap, lap of lap, the lap of luxury but you probably wouldn't do it around that part of the woods you'd probably go to another state i reckon that's right. Let's take it and go back to England. I was just going to say, you wouldn't be taking a reward dobbing in locals and staying local, given the populations mm. and the number of Kelly relatives around at that time in that spot place. Mm. And mm. sympathisers as well, because there were quite a number of them. Mm. Uh, I was reading a large uh, number. Sorry, Morty? Dad. Ned's dad's history, John Red Kelly. Mm -hmm. I was reading that he was brought to Australia for stealing some pigs and uh, possibly helping a mate with uh, getting some cows moved as well back in Ireland. So uh, I guess with that kind of family history, they wouldn't have been looked on very favourably by the police to start with. So, yeah, they're pushing it uphill from day one, weren't they? Wasn't so. Red Kelly also a police informant? I've read that he was a police informant back in Ireland. Ooh. Okay, that's good. Maybe that I was think... a way of him to get out of trouble a little bit and you know, pass yeah. some insider knowledge on to the police and help help him look not so bad. Well, they definitely would have been under the eye then, wouldn't they? Yeah. They must have reached a point where he fell out of favour because he was transported to Van Diemen's land, so... He got to at the end of the rope with someone there, if that be the case. I haven't read that bit, Eddie. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I um, was listening to a, another podcast uh, mm. about it and um, and then, yeah, just, you know, heard what that's, they said and then did a bit more research online and, and heard that he was a police informant and so that could have helped him, you know, get out of the trouble that he was in. Um, mm. by, you know, dobbing on, on others but uh, and then did a little bit more research online and sort of it came up again. So once again, you know, it's, is it true, is it not? He still ended up coming to Australia. So, you know, who knows? Funny about that because there's also a bit of a narrative around Ned being an informant against Harry Power when um, Harry Power got captured. 
to give themselves a bit of leverage if they ever got themselves in a jam, oh, yeah, there, there's no honour among thieves. Absolutely not. And, and anyone will cough up anyone, I reckon, particularly because if they knew that hanging was the end result and if they mm. could get themselves off. Jeez, you can see the currency of the day. It's like who you know and what you know, you know, probably mm. magnified. <laughs> Has that changed? Oh, yeah. I think it was very, very magnified back then. Um, uh, we probably have more aspects of rule of law now than what they did back there. I think it was the law was certainly 100% in the power of the people who had it at the time. I think it's kind of levelled out a bit. I mean, yeah, of course, there could still be dodgy stuff, but it's nowhere as extreme as it used to be. I think people back then, when they thought they went to the magistrate, they, they knew that were gone unless they had something on somebody else. Yeah, no, that's pretty much the way it is now. Um, <laughs> I promise I haven't dobbed any of you in yet. <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> if, if I may refer to notes taken at the time, Your Honour. There's one aspect about Glen Rowan that I think is just hard to ignore, and that's when the gang ripped open the railway line and they've done it around the bend. And they did so because they knew that there would be multiple carriages worth of police in there. So I think what they'll try to do if this was successful, the train would derail, that would go down the embankment, there may be some police officers either killed or stunned. And the whole idea of the armour, because I've seen this theory, is they'll be at the top of the embankment taking pot shots at them. So what I think Ned was trying to do was commit probably Australia's first biggest like mass murder, as we know. So I'm convinced that that was the idea, but I was also wondering if he was successful, what was going to happen next? Was northeast Victoria going to be its own state? I think there was talk of that at the time that they potentially wanted to do that, to break away from, you know, the colony and, and Melbourne and become because this is pre-Federation, so maybe that, that was part of it. But whether Ned would have actually led them into it, maybe there was other parties involved that were perhaps pushing that. But, you know, it never came about. There was no uprising or continuation mm. of this after Ned died anyway. So was it just all talk, he say? I think they, from the authorities' point of view, they cut the head of the snake when they took care of the gang and Ned, and I think that's why it lost momentum. But I just wonder, would that part be formally known as Kelly Country and then rather just a nickname? Bhaji, I know that you think that he's a criminal. I have no doubt about that. What do you think his plans were? Look, going back to Glen Rowan, I think it was more of a opportunity because at the time they'd been, or it had been reported, that they were jumping across the border uh, from Victoria to New South Wales, et cetera, et cetera, after the uh, Euroa and Gerildery bank issues, the banks got involved mm -hmm. and actually upped uh, some of the rewards, and those rewards were dead or alive. They weren't, you know, in with the odd bruise here or there because really it undermined the whole establishment 
because everybody was beholden to the banks. No matter who you were, you either had money in them or you were an investor in them. Now, as far as the burning of the mortgage papers, the popular history is Ned did that to free the people that had mortgages and everything else. Have a look at who could actually afford to have a mortgage. And it wasn't the general populace. It was predominantly the middle to upper class people that had money that the banks would actually loan money to. Now, the bank was never going to loan money to the likes of Kelly's mother and him and people like that because the banks are the banks as they are now. They want to see their money returned and some. They can't afford risk. They can't afford risk. Now, for them, the biggest risks at the time were if the bank got robbed and that wasn't a terribly prevalent uh, occurrence uh, in comparison to, say, the, the wild west of the United States. You know, not every cowboy was coming into town to knock over the, the bank. So insofar as this Robin Hood-esque Uh, approach that he took to burn those mortgage documents, I think he was actually trying to send a message to the bank saying, I'm going to hurt you. And the way that I can hurt you is stick it to you around who you were going to get uh, money back from on those loans. Can I I say something about that? Yeah, go for it. Two potential reasons why he burnt the mortgages. One, which I think is the less likely of the two, is the mortgages would have been, the mortgagors would have been potential jurors should he come to trial before a jury. So he could have been trying to curry favour with potential jurors. The more likely reason why he burnt them, and this is just my surmising it, would be if you burn a mortgage, how do you have proof of ownership of that piece of land when people go in and start living on it and go, but this is my land. What mortgage? I don't see a mortgage. Can you produce a mortgage? No, you can't produce a mortgage. This is my land, which I think is far more likely and there were an awful lot of Kellys and an awful lot of Kelly cousins who needed somewhere to live. Yeah, and I'm really in strong agreement with that one because if you then compare that to some of the statements that are made in the jewellery letter, uh, which has been likened to a bit of a powerful-type manifesto around, you know, get rid of all the the rich and redistribute wealth. Mm. Now, the easiest way to do that your mortgagees are the ones that have got all the wealth and all the land locked up. They're in cahoots with the banks. Great, let's go and get all the documents, burn them, redistribute the land to the common man. And the way that Kelly signed off the jewellery letter highlights that, you know, he's sort of playing the, I am but a simple man and, you know, I've had a rough trot and everything else. So this is what I'm saying is you need to redistribute that to the common folk. Your thoughts, Morty? Yeah, just I'm I'm really 
stuck what he became of reading that he's he was born six months after Eureka Stockade and we see that Eureka flag often associated with Kelly country and all that kind of stuff I I can't see him as a leader of a revolution I just don't see that I think he's had a rough trot and he's on the run and he's desperate Somehow he gets time for his 8,000-word manifesto. I just can't see he's the leader we want to make him out to be. So, Oh, look, I, I don't think he was trying to start a revolution or be the leader thereof. He was just sort of putting across, well, what can I do to hurt the establishment? Yeah. Because, yep. I mean, if, if you look throughout his life, it's all about, oh, you know, I've had a rough trot and everything else, he's always been that very, and dare I say it, that real Irish trait of challenging authority and what can I do at my level to make things uncomfortable for them. And, look, at the end of the day, he was probably a reasonably intelligent individual in relation to what his actions were going to do. And he probably realised that it was going to be no more than a minor inconvenience over time. But it was, as you say, he was on the run. Some of the uh, activities were, to me, an act of a desperate man. Oh, I've just opened the safe. There's all the money. I'll grab that. Oh, what are those documents? Ah, I'll stick it to the man. Give me a match. Yeah. Yeah. There's the victim side there, and that's let's pull down the authority. And yep. he, as an Irishman, he would have been rebelling against the British rule and the fact that they'd he'd been sent there. A bit disturbed to read about the Felons Apprehension Act, which he was then, anyone can shoot the Kelly gang. It's like he's really getting stuff stacked against him that he's having to fight. So, oh, what a mess. You can kind of get the idea why you might have snapped towards the end. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What are you Oh, and I mean, see, sorry, just the other thing too is if you have a look at one of those links that I sent earlier, there was actually at the time, and he sort of happened in in the middle of all this, was during the 1870s, there was a full-on war against bushrangers between law enforcement throughout the country, you know, because you had quite a number of people that were down on their luck and things like that, and you had Ben Hall and Ned Kelly and Captain Starlight and dozens of others that were probably less well-known that were basically causing havoc. Once somebody went out of a major metropolitan area like Sydney or Melbourne or even Geelong nowadays, particularly around Bendigo, the outskirts of Bendigo was just absolutely rife with a lot of opportunistic-type individuals, given the gold rush as well, because they either didn't have skills, they didn't own land, and at the end of the day, they were just trying to survive. Some of them became famous, some of them became notorious, some of them we wouldn't even know. But there was a big outcry by the establishment around Law enforcement, you've got to sort this out. And they they were, uh, particularly New South Wales and Victoria, were really adamant that they were going to 
and this gets back to my earlier comments around how do you get people to play by the rules? You put the scarers on them. Hmm. If I was to ask, to summarise it, there's two sentences that I put together about Ned Kelly is, I wish there was more discussion exactly like this because I don't like the way that he is, in some regards, just like 100% glorified. And I think, no, it's not as straight up and down as that. You've got to take more than a superficial view on it. So I think this kind of debate about our history is important. If I had to put in a couple of sentences, that's what I'd say. You've been listening to the Pod No Name exploration of Ned Kelly. I'd like to thank Sid, Bargie and his band of merry criminals for their exploration, their time and the effort they put into this episode. If you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email at podnoname at gmail.com and give us some ideas for some upcoming episodes. You can also catch up with us on our Facebook page. You can find us at facebook.com slash podnoname. We'd like to thank you for listening, and a big thanks goes to our listener. We only do this for you. See you next week.